Well, good morning and welcome to Southwind. So very good to see each of you today. Um, before we get into our message this morning, I want to remind you of something I told you about last week, which is that next week uh, we're going to begin a new series um, on the subject of heaven. And I asked you last week if you would uh, email me uh, questions you have about that subject, what the Bible teaches, uh, things that you would like to understand better. And I want to thank those of you who did that. Um, I also want today to invite uh, those of you who haven't yet done that uh, to join in and uh, send those to me because uh, hearing your questions I think will be really a great help uh, for me as I am preparing. Well, today is week two of our two-week series, Who's Your One? And in this series, uh, I'm challenging each and every single one of us uh, to identify one person in our life that we will seek to share the good news of Jesus Christ with sometime in the year that's ahead of us. And last Sunday, if you were here, you'll remember we talked about how truly living as a follower of Christ really means that we are people who are seeking to share the gospel, seeking to share the good news. And we were challenged to do that as we looked at what Jesus calls us to do as his people. Uh, we provided you last week, if you remember, with a, a bookmark that you could pick up and you could write the name of your one on. It comes also with some scripture verses for 30 days that will help guide you as you're praying for that uh, person in your life. And uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, you can go ahead and pick one of those up. We still have more uh, that you can get today. But I want you to know also today we're making available another resource, and it is a 30-day prayer guide uh, that will actually give you uh, samples of prayers that you can pray for this person, a place to journal uh, inside the book if you'd like to do that. And we really would like to encourage everyone over this next month uh, to be utilizing this tool uh, to help us as we are praying and seeking to share with um, the person who is our one. Now, we have a limited number of these um, out in the lobby available for you to pick up, but we were thinking that a whole lot of you might actually prefer to get this electronically, right? And so there is a QR code at the bottom of your notes where you can load that onto your phone and you can have it, you know, right with you whenever you, wherever you go over the next uh, month and even longer if you'd like to do that. So uh, I just want to encourage you to take advantage of these resources that will help uh, keep us focused on this challenge that God is giving uh, to us. Now, Many of you are aware um, that uh, before I came to Southwinds in 2003, I, I pastored a church in the Chicago suburbs uh, for over 13 years. Uh, most of you also know that I am a, a lifelong Giants fan, but while I was in Chicago, I have to tell you, I found kind of a soft spot in my baseball-loving heart uh, for the lovable loser Chicago Cubs. And some of you are there, I can tell. And I, I, I love going to games at, at Wrigley Field. It was just a great place to watch a baseball game. How many of you have ever been there? Anybody in the room? A number of you have actually been to a game at Wrigley Field. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's one of the best places. I didn't say the best, okay? I do reserve that for uh, Oracle Park. But it's one of the best places, I think, in the country to watch a game of baseball. I mean, it's got history. It's over 100 years old. It's got this charm about it. You know, some of it's part of the age it, it, that it has. It's also, I think, the, this charm of being located right where people live. If you've ever been there and you go to a game, you like you walk to a baseball game past houses where regular people live their lives. It's just in a block and 
down the street from, you know, where people are. And it's just kind of a, a really special location. Well, in 2014, when they were, they were celebrating the 100th anniversary of Wrigley Field, George Will, the political columnist who is also a huge baseball fan, Cubs fan, he actually wrote a short book in honor of Wrigley Field. And in this book, he advocates an interesting theory. His theory is because Wrigley Field is such a great place to watch a game, that's one of the reasons why the Cubs had not won a World Series in over 100 years at that point. And, uh, of course, he was writing two years before 2016 uh, when they did win. And here's what he said. He explains it this way. Baseball is a business, and so if the team stinks, fans don't come, the owners lose money, and that motivates them to spend money to go out and get better players so they can have a better team, and so the more fans will come, and they'll win more games, and the owners make money. It's just kind of business 101. But George Will says, unfortunately, that doesn't work in Chicago. Because in Chicago, even when the Cubs stink, which has been the reality for most of a century. I mean, you know, it's kind of a thing when you have a bad century. Everybody has a bad year. <laughs> but for 100 years, you know, nothing really had happened in terms of winning the championship. And so, you know, but the fans kept coming. They kept watching the games. The park was still full. The owners didn't lose money. And so, and so they weren't really motivated, George Will said, to make a change to actually be a great baseball team. So you may be asking right now, what does that have to do with church? Well, here's how I think it works for those of us in church sometimes. We start thinking of church as a place that we go to get a spiritual experience. You know, the music stirs our souls. The, the sermon challenges our heart. The, the kids get some spiritual training. We see our friends. We meet some new people. You know, we, we can enjoy the experience so much that we start to forget the mission. And I think this can happen, especially when a church is in the place we are right now, enjoying a brand new building that we're so excited about, right? We just love the blessings that God has given us. Everything is so new, everything is so nice, and we can start thinking, even without realizing it, that we're coming just to come and to receive and to soak it all in, and we can begin to forget our mission, which is the purpose that we're actually here. And let me remind you, we talked about it last week. Jesus gives us our mission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We call it the Great Commission. Jesus says that I want you as my followers to make as many people as possible into fully devoted followers of mine. I want you, in other words, to make disciples. And the reason this is so important is when a person surrenders their life to Christ, when they become a disciple, everything changes for them. Christ comes to live in. Christ begins to transform their life in this world. Christ guarantees them eternal life in the world to come. So making disciples is a huge deal. Amen? What is our mission at Southlands? Well, we say it like this. Our mission is to help people who don't know God to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, here's the reality that we're focusing on these two weeks. For that to happen always requires that someone who knows God tells someone who doesn't know God about God, about his love, about his salvation. 
See, we, we know, I think, don't we, that lost people matter to God? Is there any question about that? I mean, he gave the life of his only son so that lost people might be found. But really the question underlying this two-week series is this. Do lost people matter to you? Do lost people matter to me? Do they matter to us? And do they matter enough for you to do something about it? Enough for you to identify just one person in your life and begin praying for that person, begin praying about sharing the good news with that person, begin praying that God would open doors uh, in their life so that we can share. Do they matter enough? Now, our text this morning, uh, you may already be there, is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And if you're not, you'll want to get there in your copy of God's Word. Paul's words in these verses are really about us actually doing something that God so clearly tells us as his people to do. And that is to talk to people who don't know God yet and tell them about Jesus. That's what is on Paul's mind as he is writing these words. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I want to ask you right now, is everybody in the room, how many people right now in this room are are burdened for someone that you know? Maybe someone in your family, someone you work with, uh, maybe someone in your neighborhood. You You are burdened for them because you're just not sure that if they died today, that they would spend eternity with God. How many of us in this room have a burden like that for anybody? Would you just raise your hand? Now see, what this this tells me and I'm not surprised, is these words are so very relevant today. They are meant for us to hear today. So here's the question, how do we do this? How how do we talk to people who don't know God yet about God? How do we share good news? I want you to see seven principles Paul gives us that will help us do this, help us share good news, help us share good news with our one. Here's where Paul begins. You can write this down on your notes. Number one, talk to God first. This is where it starts. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You might want to write this down. Before you talk to people about God, talk to God about people. That's really what Paul is saying here. This word devote uh, refers to prayer, and it, it, it literally means to persist. It means to be committed to something. And Paul is saying Christ followers who talk to people who don't know God yet are invariably people who pray. And this is not just praying when you feel like it or praying when there's a big problem. It's devotion. You're doing what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. You're just praying for your one all the time. Now, why do I need to pray? Well, there's a few reasons the Bible makes clear to us. Uh, First of all, prayer changes me, especially in relationship to my one. And the truth is, The natural state of my heart for lost people is probably not real warm. And sometimes my heart gets cold, and sometimes I find it easier just to stay in my own little orbit and not really care too much about 
all those people all around me who do not know God. And so I don't take the risks necessary to get to know them so that I can share with them. I, I care more about my own convenience and comfort. But have you ever noticed this? When, when you pray, your heart changes. See, more and more as I pray, I have a heart like God's heart, a heart that beats fast for people who are far from God, a heart that longs to see those people know his love, know his forgiveness. And I just have to ask today, are you devoting yourselves to prayer? See, don't miss that this is a command. It is a command for every Christ follower. And maybe you're like me right now. I mean, maybe you're like me. I often need to confess to God the sin of my own prayerlessness especially for people who don't know God yet. I suspect some of us need to do the same. But when we pray, our heart changes. Paul, Paul says when we pray, we are to be watchful. You could think of that word as alert. Uh, alert to what God is saying. Uh, alert to what God is doing in the lives of those people around us. Paul says as we pray, we also need to be thankful we're, we're full of gratitude for our salvation and all of our blessings, and that motivates us to share what we've received as a free gift with other people. Second thing we, we know is that when we pray, why we need to pray is prayer makes me bold. The more time that I spend in God's holy presence, the less I'm going to worry about what other people think. Does that make sense? Hebrews 4.16 tells us to pray boldly. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God wants you and I to pray bold prayers for him to do unbelievable things in the lives of the people we know who don't know him. Are you praying bold prayers? I'm going to tell you a little story from church history about bold praying. It took place in 1540. Martin Luther, the reformer, was in the heart of the Reformation battle. His life was in danger, as it had been for many years. And that particular year, his very good friend, his assistant named Friedrich Myconius, became very sick, and he was expected to die. He was in another city, and he was, he was on his bed. He wrote a, a loving farewell letter to his friend Martin Luther. Within a day, Luther's reply came back. And here's what Martin Luther wrote. He wrote, I command you in the name of God to live. I mean, isn't that awesome? <laughs> he says, because I still have need of you in the work of reforming the church, the Lord. The Lord will never let me hear <laughs> that you are dead but will permit you to survive me. For this I am praying, this is my will, may my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing prayer? I mean, this is kind of shocking to read those words, but they were sincere. They were from his heart. Here's the thing. When Martin Luther's letter arrived, Friedrich Myconius recovered completely, and he lived six more years. He only died months after Martin Luther died. Now, praying boldly does not mean that I can pray whatever I want and assume and presume that God's going to have to do always what I say. We should always pray as Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. But we can be confident, friends, 
that when we are praying for our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers to be saved, we are praying in the will of God. Amen? And so we can pray with boldness. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So pray boldly. Pray boldly. And then third, prayer connects me to God's power. Uh, we must pray because we cannot convert anyone. And I want to tell you, as soon as you figure that out in your life, you're going to relax a lot. Some of you are all tense about this because you somehow think it's really up to you. And I'm here to tell you today it's not, and that's a really good thing. Anybody want to say amen? amen. See, Paul recognizes only God can change hearts. God is sovereign People don't come to God because we are clever or persuasive or because we have memorized the plan of salvation. They only come to faith when God opens their hearts. And that's why we must pray. The real work of evangelism begins on our knees, not in your mouth. Talk to God first. Second principle, look for openness to the word. Notice in verse 3, Paul says, And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Now, there's something really fascinating here. When Paul writes this, he's in prison. Let me ask you a question. If you were in prison, we're asking people to pray for you. What would you ask them to pray for? Just be honest. Three words. Get me out. <laughs> Fourth word, please. I guess fifth word, Soon. Right? That's what you would be asking, right? Paul is not even asking for that. Paul cares less about that than this. Paul doesn't say anything about being in jail. What does he say? He says, ask God to open a door. Ask God to cause the good news, the gospel to spread. Just don't stop asking. And they didn't. They didn't stop asking. I mean, we read... In, in the New Testament, we see first century Christ followers, they ask and ask and ask, and God did it, and God turned the world upside down. So here's the question, Southwinds. What if we were to spend this next year asking and asking and asking God to open doors, and he did it? What if we spent the next year asking God to spread the gospel through this church family across our region more powerfully than ever before. And he did it. What if every one of us prayed this prayer, God, let me proclaim the mystery of Christ this year, let me. What if every one of us said, God, please allow me the privilege of having at least one person who doesn't know you now come to know you during this next year. What if we all prayed that and what if God did it? What if we gathered a year from now and hundreds of people had walked through these doors and walked through the doors of faith and we were able to look at each other and say, we just kept asking. All year we kept praying. All year we kept asking and God did it. And this was the greatest year of adventure in our lives. Anybody want to be a part of a church like that? I mean, who, who wouldn't? And the good news is we can. We, we just have to start praying and trusting and, and obeying and acting. I, I believe that God is up to something here at Southwinds. We wouldn't be here if he wasn't. You know, this word, a, a door in Paul's writings, means opportunity. 
When the time is right for something eternally significant to happen, God opens doors. And so we pray for God to do this. And it is amazing. As we pray for God to open doors, we are so much more prone to see those open doors. Has anybody ever noticed that? Now, don't miss this. When the door opens, we need to remember what it is opening for. And in the NIV, it says the message. But the literal word here is the word. The word. Doors open so that we can get good news to people. And the good news that God sent his son Jesus to die for the sins of the world always comes through God's word. And so here's the application. When God opens the door, stick the word through it. See, it's not about how winsome our personalities are, and that's really good news for some of you, okay? Those people who it's good news for didn't laugh, I noticed. Um, We should be warm and friendly, yes, but it's not about that. It's not about how much we know the Bible. When the door opens, our job is not to try to impress them with all the cool arguments that we know for the existence of God, philosophically speaking. Open doors are for the word of God to go through. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God promises to honor his word, so use his word. I'm going to give you 10 scriptures right now that you can use for sharing your faith. And these are the kinds of verses you should have in your mind. All of these would be good to know. It would be good if you would memorize them. And I'm going to say them fast. And so if you can't write all the references down, I'm going to put all of them up on our Facebook page this week. So you can go uh, there um, and you can like our Facebook page if you haven't done that. But here they go, okay? Number one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. John 1.12 and 13. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the mouth, with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Titus 3, 5, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Number 10, Hebrews 9, 27. Man is destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. Now, here's the point of rereading those verses. Do you know God's word well enough to actually stick it through an open door? 
You see, you need to know God's word to be able to do this. Do you need do you know God's word enough to just let it do its work? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So we are to look for openness to God's word. Let the word work. Number three, we're going to share the good news. How do we do that? Well, this is important. We, we need to be willing to pay a price. Are you willing to pay a price? In verse 3, Paul writes, for which I am in chains. I've already mentioned Paul was in prison. And he was there, of course, because of his faith, because he talked to people who didn't know God. And maybe someone here needs to be reminded today that the gospel was never proclaimed to anyone that it didn't cost someone something. You know, when you read church history, you'll find all kinds of people who paid the ultimate cost for us to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the interesting thing is the gospel is always free to the people we share it with. It comes by grace, but it costs the person who shares. Always. It costs me time. It costs me money. It costs me energy. Sometimes it costs me comfort. For some Christ followers, friends, don't forget it costs life. But it always costs something. And maybe you've never thought about it like this, but maybe the reason that you have never shared or you're not willing to share the gospel with someone is you don't want to pay the cost. You're not willing to pay the price. Maybe right now the person you're thinking of sharing with is someone who's not open to the gospel. And they brush you off. They may insult you. They may treat you badly. I'm just asking you today, are you willing to pay the cost? Are you willing to be treated as a doormat so that they can hear the truth? And I think sometimes this may be the area we fail the most often. We just don't want to pay the price. I mean, many times, we don't want to share our faith because we just don't want to take the time. Many times, we don't want to share our faith because we want people to like us. It's going to cost it's always going to have a price. See, Paul, such a godly great man, he was in chains for the gospel. And you just have to ask, why would we expect that us sharing the gospel would not cost us something? Number four, speak the message clearly. Verse 4 says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul also wanted people to pray that the message would be proclaimed clearly. I was thinking about this this week, and I wanted to ask you, do you realize what this means, what this is telling us? Here's what I realize. It means that if I preach a bad message, it's your fault. <laughs> You're not praying. That must be why, right? Well, this phrase Paul uses, pray that I may proclaim it clearly, is fascinating because Paul doesn't say pray that I'll be clever. Paul doesn't say pray that I'll be impressive or pray that people will like me. He just says pray that when the door opens and I have the opportunity to share Christ, just pray that I will make it clear. Now some of you, you know, you know what it's like to pray and pray and pray for an open door and then suddenly the door swings open and you go it's like batter up right now i mean now or never this might be my only shot and when that happens aren't you in this place you just want you just want to be clear and paul says that's what you need to do be crystal clear you say well what are we to be clear on 
I think the Bible tells us at least three things that we should be clear on. First one is that God loves people. You know, as we share good news with people, we should always have in mind that no matter what kind of hole people have dug for themselves, no matter how far they have drifted from God, God is always filled with compassion and mercy for them, and God's arms are always open wide for them. So make sure they see that. Then second, we should be clear that no amount of human effort will ever make anyone right with God. It's kind of an interesting thing. You line up 100 people in our culture and ask them a question, and 99 of them will think that the way you get God's approval is you do good stuff. you got to do more good stuff than the bad stuff you do, right? You do good works. And we need to be clear with people that the only way to get right with God is through the death of Jesus on the cross. Jesus died in the place of sinners because we could not pay the penalty that we owed. Now, the theological term for this is substitutionary atonement. That no matter how hard or long you work, you cannot ever save yourself. You must trust in Jesus, his grace, his mercy alone. We need to make that clear. And then third, make it clear that a decision must be made. Because no one ever drifts into a relationship with God. Everyone must choose. Everyone must repent of their sins. We must each believe that Jesus is God's son. And we must each receive what Jesus has done on our behalf. See, Christ does for you what no person can do for himself or herself. But you must make a decision about it. Number five. When opportunity knocks... Open the door. Verse 5 says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. See, Paul says, be wise. And, and Paul defines wisdom as making the most of every opportunity. Now, the Greek text literally says, buy back the time. In other words, if you put it this way, in other words, watch and don't duck. Anybody here ever ducked? Sometimes we duck. We're looking for opportunities, and one comes, and then we, we, we duck. We bail. Paul says don't do that. Back in verse 2, he said to be watchful, and so we need to be on the lookout for opportunities to share our faith. And here's the thing. I, I, I believe that God will open a door of opportunity for every person in this room who's praying at least once this week. I think for many of you, he'll do it more than once. I mean, all you have to do is say, Holy Spirit, make me sensitive, make me aware I'm looking for opportunities, and God's going to answer that prayer, right? The word opportunity, that's a word that literally means time. And it's interesting, the Greek language uh, has two major words for time. Uh, the most common is the word chronos. You recognize that. We get words like chronology uh, from that. Uh, chronos is like clock time. Uh, it's, it's just another tick on the clock. It's measuring of time. But there's another word that they use, a second word, and it's kairos. And they use that word to refer to a decisive moment, sometimes a crisis, sometimes a, a crossroads. It, it was a word that we would call the, a defining moment. And, and kairos is actually the word Paul uses right here. 
And what he's saying is there will be defining moments in the lives of people around you. Moments when, for whatever reason, maybe after years of hardness, their hearts suddenly soften and open to God. And when that happens, you want to be ready, right? Uh, Here's a letter that someone at a church back in Illinois wrote. This is so good. Uh, The letter says, I'll read it to you. My wife and I have been attending this church for close to 22 years. Um, For most of this time, I tried to share Christ with my sister. I sent her tapes over the years. This letter's a little old, okay? So if you're too young to know what tapes are, ask an older person. They'll explain. (laughs) I sent her tapes over the years, called her, wrote her, talked with her, all to no avail. Recently, I felt the Lord saying, get a copy of a tape where the gospel had been presented and send it to her. My first response was, what's the use, Lord? I've been trying for over 20 years. She doesn't listen to them anyway. But I sent the tape anyway, and then this is kind of interesting. I sent the tape together with a cassette recorder and batteries. So this guy's like covering all the bases. (laughs) And then he says, the rest of the story is in her letter and he sent along a copy of the letter she wrote back to him and she wrote him a number of things and then she writes about the day when the tape came in the mail she says quote that noon i came home for lunch and there was this package i opened it and i saw the tape i read the letter i knew this must be important i knew you always sent tapes and quite honestly i've never taken the time to listen partly because until now i didn't have a tape player that worked (laughs) i realized this is just an excuse she said now there's another thing about her letter, this just kills me. Uh, she also says there was a reason why she was looking for something in the mail on that particular day. She writes, quote, a couple days earlier, I was reading my horoscope, and my horoscope said something important would come by mail. <laughs> now, I want to be real clear on this right at this point, okay? Don't read horoscopes. <laughs> Do not dabble in an astrology because the occult is really dangerous stuff. But here's the deal. When God is after you, there is nowhere to hide. And at the end of this woman's letter, she told her brother she'd given her life to Christ. Then the writer of this letter sent the letter to some other folks, and three other people gave their lives to Christ, all because after 22 years of frustration, somebody kept persevering in prayer, and then when a Kairos moment came, they seized the moment. God kept tugging at a human heart, and one day that heart softened. And when God spoke, and God spoke to one of us in our midst and said, this is it. This is a defining moment. This is Kairos time. See, when the question for us is when opportunity arrives, will we seize that? There are doors that are opening around us for people that we love. We need to be ready. Are you ready? Number six, don't be a jerk. (laughs) Just trying to be practical, okay? Verse six says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Now, Paul had been serving Jesus for a long time, and he probably had seen evangelism done in a lot of situations sometimes done in some obnoxious, counterproductive ways. And so he, he just pleads with them, look, we need open doors, and God has to open them, and we have to make the message clear when God opens a door, but stop acting unwisely toward outsiders. Stop any obnoxious, overzealous 
prideful, haughty ways of talking that, that push people away from the God we're trying to point them to. He says, just be gracious. I mean, wouldn't you agree with me that probably more people are turned off by the messengers of Christ than they are by the message of Christ? This is so important. I just would encourage you to memorize these verses. Make sure that you're wise. Make sure that you're gracious. A couple of words. Being gracious starts with a humble heart. See, when you're mindful as you talk to people about God, that it was only by grace you were saved. I mean, how can we be prideful if we keep that in mind? We should talk to people with humility. Because whatever we know, we don't know because we're smart or good, right? You understand that, don't you? Whatever you know of the, of the goodness of God, the grace of God, the word of God, you know by your, his grace. Because God opened your heart. You never opened your heart. He opened your heart and you responded to him. So be humble. Being gracious also involves sensitivity. See, we need to know that not every person we will try to talk to God will be ready in that moment. And when we see that, we should be aware we may need to back off for the moment. I mean, we, we, we need to be aware of the responsiveness of the people that we are talking to. And some of us aren't. I mean, I'm, let me be painfully clear. Because some of us aren't real good at reading the, the clues and the cues that people are giving us. So here they are. If, if you are talking to someone and their eyes are glazing over and then you notice their pupils get fixed and dilated, that may be a time to back off. Okay? If you find, as you're talking to someone, that you have grabbed their arm and they are physically trying to get away from you, and you're holding on to them so you can say some more, that may be a time to be sensitive and to back off. A few years ago, I read about this guy that came to his, his wife's pastor. He didn't go to church, but he knew the pastor, and he said this, Pastor, if you don't call my wife off, I will never become a Christian. He said, every time I go to the bathroom, there's a tract sitting on the john. I pick up the newspaper and a religious book falls off. She won't talk about anything except Jesus. It's driving me up the wall. I need you to call her off. So this woman, right after this, not too long after, came into the pastor's office. And she didn't know her, her husband had already been there. And she said, Pastor, I am being persecuted for Jesus' sake in my house. And the pastor said, you are not being persecuted for Jesus' sake. You're being persecuted because you're arrogant and rude. Now, this woman knew her pastor loved her, and so she received those words. He could say that to her, and she changed, and eventually her husband became a Christ follower. Paul says, be gracious. I mean, how many young men have become Christians because they fell in love with a girl, a woman who followed Christ. You know why? They, they fall in love with her, and then they fall in love with Jesus. And that's what we're about here. People are supposed to fall in love with our graciousness, with our winsomeness, with our gentleness, because those things come from Jesus. So you don't be a jerk. Be gentle, be kind, be gracious. And then number seven, the last one, know what you're talking about. Verse six says, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Here's the thing that some of us need to be reminded of. If we're going to talk to people about God, we do not need to be seminary trained professionals 
in theology and philosophy and apologetics. We just need to be people who have learned as much as we possibly can learn. We just need to be people who have taken the time, who have exerted the mental effort, sometimes it takes some worse, loving God with our minds, to learn as much about the Bible as we can and what it teaches, who have moved beyond cliches and pat answers, who have actually taken the time to hear what our culture is thinking and saying, and, and most importantly, who are actually listening to the questions the people that we're talking to are actually asking. So we need to learn some things. You don't have to be an expert, but you need to learn some things. This doesn't mean you have to go through some big period of study before you talk to someone. If God opens a door for you this afternoon, go through it. Trust that he's going to work. He'll help you with whatever it is that you know. But as you are walking with Christ and following Christ, learn as much as you can. Work to know what you're talking about. Now, some of us don't talk to people about Christ and about the gospel because we're afraid that someone's going to ask a question and we're not going to know the answer, right? Let me give you a really helpful response to that. When someone does that, and they will, this happens to me sometimes, that's, you say to them, that's a good question and I'm really not ready to answer that and give you a good answer. Would it be all right if I took some time to think that through, to do some study, and then I could get back to you? I think you will find that virtually everyone will say that's fine. They will probably appreciate your honesty. Now, we don't have time to cover this area in depth today, but I am going to be putting up some resources for you uh, that you can go deeper on. Again, on Facebook, some materials you can download, some places you can go, some books you can get, things like that. I put books uh, in the message outline uh, last week for you to do that. So again, if you're on Facebook, you can go and do that. If you don't use Facebook, you'll just email info at southwinds.org and ask for that, those materials, and, and we will get them to you. Now let me share with you uh, some very fascinating information. A survey a few years ago was done, and I've heard different surveys done like this over the years, um, giving virtually the same information. This survey reported that 82% of unchurched people say that if someone invited them to go to church, they would go. More than 8 out of 10. In our country, 82% of the unchurched people, that's 110 million according to this study at this time. I, I kind of did some math. In Tracy, that's more than 56,000 people. People are far more open than some of us think they are. I believe that most of the people that we know would engage in a spiritual conversation with a friend if we approach them right. So again, do you know someone? Have you identified your one? Do you know someone who doesn't know God? And, and will you pray for them? And will you ask God to open a door in their hearts? And when God opens the door, will you walk through that door? See, here's what this message is about. And I just keep coming back to this. What if you actually started doing what God says? What if you actually identified your one? And what if you started praying for them? Could it be that God would use you this year to make an eternal difference in the life of a friend or a family member or a neighbor? What if at the end of this year that's in front of us, 
We have seen hundreds of people trust Jesus, profess faith in him, get baptized here at Southwinds. What if, what if this next year was the greatest year of seeing people trust Jesus that we've ever known? Who's your one? Who's your one? Would you bow your heads as we pray?